All right, good morning. I'm glad to be with you guys again today. Um, as we get set up here. Um, thankful so much for this series. I, I know that I've heard a lot of good feedback as, as far as the testimonials that have been shared. Uh, the past uh, two times we've done that have been really great. I hope they've blessed you as much as they've blessed me. I've heard a lot of great feedback from the people who shared saying it was a great experience for them to be before you all and just share from their heart, share what they're going through, share what they've been through, that maybe one day you guys can kind of wrestle with these things together. I know that it's been a blessing to me, and I hope it's been a blessing to you as well. Uh, last week we talked about, uh, Nancy Phillips shared about the fruits of the Spirit growing in her life and just how they were kind of ripe for the taking once this event happened that was kind of uncontrollable really in her life to where she's able to see where God had been growing those fruits in her life to where once that event happened and as she struggled through that, she realized the Spirit was with her and the fruits of the Spirit were with her and they've been growing and growing and growing and there was a harvest that took place and the fruits of the Spirit really continue to grow in her life and I'm very, very thankful for that testimony. So if you're, if you're new with us, we've been going through this series in John 15 all around this word abide. And so to kind of center ourselves, I'll do this every single week, okay? Uh, we're going to read this together. Abide, one, two, three. Continually trusting Jesus to be everything you need. This is our definition we're working from. Okay, we want this to be something occurrent in our life. This word abide to mean more than just a small word that we say every single Sunday, it seems like, right? Uh, but we're going to read this again. I think it's important to be uh, deep in, deeply entrenched in this this morning. As the Father has loved me... And we actually just sang that too, right? So I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep in my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read the Bible, especially in sections like this, I start to fall asleep a little bit. Okay, even the preacher can say that. Sometimes the Bible puts me to sleep, okay? But there's a reason why I think this section in particular kind of gets me into this rhythm, right? You're reading the same word over and over again, almost to the point where the word loses all of its meaning, right? Semantic satiation is what that's called, if you're wondering. I don't know if you are. But abide, it seems like if it's this word, it's like, is that even a word anymore? We've said it so many times. Just look very quickly. Um, this is kind of the phrase that we're, that we're coming from. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. When I read that, I woke up a little bit. Because before that, this is kind of what keeps happening over and over again. Abide in me and I in you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, if anyone does not abide in me, if you abide in me, you see the cycle, right? But like I said, I got to this section right here. And for some reason, I said, this makes me pause. And all those verses came from the very little bit of time we spent in John 15 already, okay? This word comes up over and over and over again. But I got to John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There's something different taking place here. All of a sudden, the fog is lifted from my eyes. What does this mean? What does it look like to abide in your love? There's something different about the way Jesus phrased this. Like I said, we have all these different versions of abiding taking place. And I'm going to get to that, this whole idea of abiding in Jesus' love. We're going to get there, but before we get there, I want you to think of this with me, okay? Think of something you learned from someone you love. 
Okay, think of something you learned from someone you love. The very first thing I thought of was all the things that my dad taught me as I grew up. I had a really good dad. I have a really good dad. He's still alive, okay? <laughs> if he was here, he'd say, hey, don't use past tense. Um, I have a really great dad. He taught me a lot of great things. Growing up, he taught me a lot of sports stuff, right? I played all the sports, except for the ones that involve kicking things. I don't do that very well. Uh, the baseball, basketball, golf, all these things where it was just part of who we were. We're going to football games. We're going to basketball games, baseball games, sports all the time. And it was a really good time because we spent a lot of time together, right? Especially on the golf course together. A lot of time just spent outside just sharing, sharing experiences with each other. But really, I, I could go through a list of the things my dad taught me. right? He, he taught me how to ride a bike, how, how to... How to you know, throw a ball. He taught me all these different things, but really my dad was really good at teaching me patience. You don't know my dad, but he is the most patient person I've ever met in my life. For some reason, my sister and I like to tease him. Um, I was probably 13. I was too old to be doing this, but we were, I remember this vividly. We were sitting at a table, and I was just kicking my dad's leg. And I said, Dad, is that your leg? And he goes, yes. And I was like, do you want me to stop kicking you? And he's like, yes, I would. And that was it. The most mellow human being. My sister and I thought that was hilarious because he never got mad. He was just always very constant, very calm. My dad taught me the greatest value, of, uh, and that, that, that is family time, is very important. My dad, I think he based his entire career around being around my sister and I. Right? He was a school teacher for, for 30 plus years. And a big part of the reason why he stayed a school teacher is because he had the summers off and he, he could go and he could be a part of our lives after we were out of school. Right? He was always an assistant coach on my teams. He was always traveling all around the state of Florida to all my different golf events. He wasn't crazy overbearing parents that were out there screaming at their kids. He was just there. He's like, you want a cliff bar? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was like his thing. He, he never was overbearing at all. In every single season, whenever I started a new season, whether it be golf, baseball, football, basketball, he would say, do you want to do this? Is this going to be fun for you? And I would always say, yeah. And he said, but because tell me now, because I don't want to waste my money if you're not going to have any fun, right? Uh, but my dad really taught me to emphasize this, the family, and, and if you and if you got kids, he'd always tell me, you know, having kids is one of the best things you can ever experience in your life. Having having a family is so important. And I've kind of carried that with me, and I really base my life around those same principles, right? Being a good dad. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm not always, but I try to be, and I have that vision of my dad as well. And so maybe you're thinking of somebody special that taught you something special. But there's something about that learned experience, whether it be a mindset or a skill that's more valuable when it comes from somebody that you love, right? Whether it be something like, maybe you're really into woodworking and your grandfather taught you and that every time you turn wood or every time you smell a certain kind of wood, you think, oh, my grandfather taught me this. Or whatever it is, there's those touch points to where it's not just a skill anymore or a mindset, it's because my dad taught me this, or my mom or my grandma taught me these things. These things hold more value in our lives than just being skills or mindsets. It's very, very special to pass these things on. And so I return to this, this, this phrase here, and that's why I had to pause. 
Because it seems that Jesus is telling something us, a, a learned skill that he has, that he's passing on to us. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. There's this passing on that, that Jesus is talking about, this undeniably great love that not only is he showing because he loves his disciples, but he's saying, no, this love comes from God himself. Abide in this type of love. And for us, I think we get it a little bit kind of cloudy in our minds because we're sitting around here saying, hey, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God lives within us, right? The Holy Spirit guides and directs our hearts. But if you're the disciples here and you're, you're sitting across from Jesus and he's saying, as the Father loves me, I love you. That transitive property means a whole lot more, Right? This God that you and your ancestors, your grandma's grandma's grandma has been offering sacrifices to for a very long time. Jesus is saying, the love that you heard about from the very beginning of time over all this history is now being summed up in me. And I'm sitting here with you saying, guess what? I love you. That's crazy. And I hope that you're seeing the significance here. Jesus is their mediator, literally embodying, right, the mouthpiece of God, embodying this love for these people. And he's saying, that love, abide in it. Stay in it. Stay with me. Abide there. My question is how? How do I abide there? Verse 10 continues it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, you see that transitive property is expressed once again, right? If you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, right? He knows this love. He knows it by abiding in his commandments. But my question is, what does it look like, though? Right? It's easy to read that, but what does it look like to abide in Jesus' love? I think really it begins and it grows with this idea of trust. And I, and I want to be honest with you guys this week. I had a hard time in my own mind making sense of this. So if you walk away from today saying, Jimmy didn't make any sense, that's okay. Come talk to me, okay? I think it makes sense, but maybe it might be a little bit lumpy. I don't know. Um, but this whole idea of abiding in Jesus' trust, I think, begins and continues by growing in trust. What I mean by this is that we think about trust in the relationships we build in our own lives all the time, right? Even in this room, if you don't know somebody, you have trust in them to a certain degree, right? When you walk down the street, there's a certain baseline level of trust and humanity somewhat, right? If I'm walking down the street and I see someone, I'm like, that person's probably not going to punch me in the face unprovoked, right? I trust that. But building off of that, there's that baseline level of social trust. Building off of that, think about the trust you build in, in the friendships that you make, right? You share ideas like, oh, I like basketball. You like basketball. Let's talk about that, right? Our trust begins to build. We go from talking about these surface-level ideas and, and, and uh, interests to sharing and dreams, right? It's no longer just about the things that we like, but it's the things that we love, the secrets that we keep, the things that we dreamed to one day accomplish, and the, 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 the things that we hope to do in our lives. And the, ultimately, that best friendship kind of starts to, to take shape. 
And maybe if you're lucky enough to have a spouse that you call your best friend, you go even deeper into saying, this is who I fear that I am, or this is the things that I fear will happen to me one day. And this level of intimacy deepens and deepens, but all the while, it's all based around this idea of trust. The trust grows and the trust develops over time. But the problem with that is that the people that we love the most, the people that we trust the most, also have the ability to hurt us the most as well. Right? Nod your heads if you're with me, okay? Wake up a little bit. The people that we love the most also have the ability to to hurt us the most. What I mean by that is just in saying that you're giving yourself over to that person, the, the things that you dream, the things that you fear, they also have the ability to use that against you. And unfortunately, I'm sure that more than one person in this room can say, yeah, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to have distrust. I know what it feels like to give myself over to somebody only to have that thrown in my face, to be broken. And I'm really sorry that so many people are probably thinking, yeah, that's me right now. Because trust is a very valuable thing, but it also is a very, very powerful thing. The problem is, is, is that when we have these distrusting relationships, it's harder to go to another relationship and trust another person, right? When you've been burned one time, it's harder to trust somebody another time. But you see, it's not just in the relationships that we have with others. I, I did a little research on this idea of trust within our country. The Gallup poll did a, did a survey where they asked the question like this, do you trust the judgment of other Americans? 55% said yes. And you might be thinking, that's great, that's more than half. But compared to what the same question was years ago, it's alarming. In the 70s, the response was in the mid-80%. In 2001, after you know, 9-11, it was still like 78%. So in the past 20 years, we've dropped a lot in our just average trust for Americans within our own country, right? And to me, this is telling us it's not just about distrusting the relationships that we have. I think there's just a society of distrust among us. We simply don't know how to trust other people in our lives. And you might be thinking, well, that's warranted because all these people, they burn us all the time. But I think the bottom line is, why are we not trusting one another? It's because we don't want to look like we're the fool. We don't want to be burned again. We don't want to be the person that says, I trusted you and you failed me. We don't want to seem like the fool in any kind of context. But... Really, also, it comes down to we don't want to listen. We don't want to have conversations. We don't want to have the ability to have disagreements because we just want to be right and we don't want to be burned. Like I said, I hope I'm making sense this morning because the bottom line is that we are a distrusting society because we've lost the ability to sit across from someone and listen and just be present with them. We've lost the ability to have disagreements and still look at that person and say, I love you. We've lost the ability to hear two sides of things and not ultimately just categorize someone as something. Trust is very, very important, but unfortunately we've lost trust within our society. We've lost trust within our, or our friends, and unfortunately I think we've lost trust within this room in here, in here as well. Not just these four walls, but the church. Trust is important. And this kind of leads me to this next question. 
If trust is being lost in our society, in our friendships, in our churches, how on earth are we expected to trust Jesus? I think that's a valid question, do you not? How are we able to trust Jesus if we can't trust anybody at all? We don't know Jesus like I know you, like flesh and blood. It's so much easier to have a conversation with somebody and build a trusting relationship in that way, it seems, than to trust Jesus, who I can't talk to like this. This is very difficult. And if anybody says it's not difficult, they're not living, okay? It is difficult to trust Jesus. But the problem is, is that we, we take what we know about the world and we put it on Jesus, And so the question is, how can I trust Jesus? I think it comes all full circle to this idea of deep, loving forgiveness. How can we trust Jesus? Because he deeply loves us, and he's so deeply forgiving. Trust becomes deeper when you realize how forgiven you are. So for me, when I look at Jesus and say, okay, I hear all these things in Scripture. I hear all the things that you did. How can I believe that it's true? And then I look at the cross and I say, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I can trust you and I can love you because you've deeply forgiven me. There's this sense that forgiveness is kind of the thing that ties all this together. Where where Jesus can say, just trust me, just trust me. But guess what? He has the merits to back up why we ought to trust Jesus. You follow me? He has the merits to say, guess what? I've forgiven you, and every single time I look at you, I forgive you every single time. That's how much I love you. Every time he sees us, when we come back to Jesus, I did it again. I've messed up. Guess what he says? He says, I love you, and I forgive you. Now think about that relationship compared to the relationships we have in this world. Very different, right? Extremely different, because... When we lose trust with someone, it's very hard to go back to that person and say, can you please forgive me, right? And it's really hard to not think about the context in which you're asking forgiveness. And it's very hard for them to not think about the context for, for which you are asking forgiveness from them. People are complicated. Jesus says, guess what? You are ultimately forgiven, and I will always love you. And for that reason, you ought to trust me. And for that reason, you ought to be able to abide in this love that we're talking about today. All of this comes back to abiding in this type of love. Trust and forgiveness comes complete in the cross. So the question is, and I've, I'm, I'm asking a lot of questions this morning. I want us to think deeply about these things. How can we abide in this love? The very first thing is, is is coming off verse 10, what he's already said, right? Keep my commandments. And I kind of take it in different ways, delight in his word. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Excuse me. And on his law he meditates day and night. Thinking back to what we talked about before, this learned skill, that we had from our loved ones, Jesus is saying, this is a, lo- a learned skill I've learned from the Father. And guess how you're going to learn more about that learned skill? It's by delighting in his law day and night. You're not going to be able to abide in this love that Jesus says comes directly from the Father if you don't know where it comes from. 
right? If some of you got bored in my first Samuel series, I don't really care because that history is so, so important to understand the love that we experience from, from God. If we don't know about the highs and the lows of David and Saul and Israel and all those things, we miss out on the trajectory of love from the beginning of time. If we do not delight in the law of the Lord, we miss out on the love that Jesus is talking about. We won't know it. This learned skill that Jesus is trying to give to us is lost on, on deaf ears, right? We are not able to understand. Number two, trust that you are forgiven. When I was doing the research uh, about this, like how Americans deal with trust, there was another thing about um, forgiving others versus forgiving yourself. And I'm sure you guys know where I'm going. It's much harder for people statistically to forgive themselves than it is to forgive others. And I'm sure everybody in here is nodding their head. Yeah, I've messed up before. And yeah, it's hard to forgive myself to this day for that thing I messed up for. But I'm saying is that trusting in this forgiveness is paramount to your growth in your faith. If you do not know you are forgiven, you do not know that you are loved. And the third thing is this, actively seek out forgiveness. If you do not know that you are forgiven, you do not know that you are loved. And if you are not an active agent of forgiving others, you don't even know the mechanics of forgiveness. I think it's, it's, it's easy for us to sometimes look at this, the cross, and say, I'm forgiven. But there's also kind of a part on our side where it says, you have to be agents of forgiveness as well. Whether you're the wrongdoer or the one being wrong done to. It's kind of getting into the rhythm of what forgiveness looks like. So, oh, that's what forgiveness feels like. Okay, I can get on board with this. And don't hear me saying that you have to go forgive everybody today for every wrongdoing that's ever been done to you. It's not what I'm saying. Because I realize that with humans, things are much more complex. There's so many inner workings, and, and it takes a lot of time sometimes to get to a place where you can. But my encouragement to you this morning is to seek out a place where you're even entertaining the idea of forgiveness in your life, whatever that might look like. Because I think when we practice it, we in turn see it on Jesus' side, how deeply forgiven that we are in his eyes. Abide in my love. Abide in my trust. Abide in my forgiveness because ultimately that is the love that I offer to you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this time we're able to share and really hear about this lived experience that Jesus had. This, we're talking about this passing on of a skill, this mindset of just deep, deep love. And that love is just founded in the, in, the, in the foundation of trust and forgiveness. God, help us to be agents of peace and forgiveness and trust in this world. So the world that looks around and says, I don't trust you. I don't want to be made the fool. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. Help us to be such profound agents of your love that people say, there's something different about you. I want to learn about that. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for giving us the example of Jesus. Help us to strive to abide in his love. Help us to trust in his love, and help us to trust in his forgiveness that he offers us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're struggling this morning with saying, you know what? I've done something so heinous that not even Jesus can forgive me. You're believing a lie. It's a lie. And if you want to stop believing the lie, we want to offer an invitation to come forward. If you're saying, you know what? I don't even know where to start. Please help me. 
we're going to try to help each other, okay? That's why we're here together as a family. If you have any needs at all, we want to invite you to come forward while we stand and sing, but also to talk to somebody today. So won't we stand and sing together this morning?